This morning is a special time for this church. Yes, it's special because it's the Lord's Day and we have been able to oppor- we've been able to assemble and have the opportunity to come and remember our Lord in the memorial we've just participated in. It's special because we've sung these songs that Tom has led, the prayers have been led, and the comments that Jace has made. Nine o'clock period, the songs that Terry has led. It's special because it's the Lord's Day. But it's also a special time in the history of this congregation. Today, we reach the culmination of a journey that we have been on since the 1st of January. Since the 1st of January, we have been engaged talking about adding additional elders, shepherds, and bishops. And this morning, we are going as a congregation to do that very thing. So Jordan and I have a few things to talk about. In the process of that, we'll hear from the men that we'll talk about in just a moment. The first men that serve this church in the capacity that we're talking about as elders, shepherds, and bishops were Dale Davis, Ray Peden, and Bob Bolton. Not long after those three men were established, Ray Peden had to leave and move to East Texas. And for a number of years, it was just Daryl Davis and Bob Bolton. Both those men have passed away and appear before God to receive the hope that they have. After years, Joe Fagan and Glenn Hartzell were added to the leadership of this congregation. A few years after that, Glenn and his wife left, and that left Joe and Daryl serving this church as we grew for a number of years. Before, because of health, Daryl had to step down. He served this church for 30 years. Joe has now served this church for 36 years. And both Joe and Daryl set a pattern, a legacy, a model for future elders, shepherds, and bishops to follow for this church. This church owes those two men inestimable gratitude. And your present elders owe those two men esteemable gratitude. And those who shall come after will seek to follow that pattern as well. Charlie King was added several years later. And then in 2005, Breck Lovingood was added. About six months later, Charlie had to move to Lynchburg, Virginia because of job and eventually wound up in Tampa, Florida. Eleven years ago, James Pittman, Terry Bennett, Rick Foster, and Mike Ryan were added to the leadership. And so 11 years have passed since we have engaged in this celebratory event that we're going to talk about today. Let it first be said, this is all to the glory of God and God working in the lives of men and women of this congregation. 
It's not just now that that's exciting. But from my vantage point, the future years are exciting as well. We have a number of men who are growing and developing. And while this is indeed significant, I see great promise for the future with regard to future elders, shepherds, and bishops of this church. And that is a delight. It's been God's aim that a congregation, when she is fully established, will be comprised of saints, bishops, and deacons. And this church has enjoyed the leadership of good men through the years, men who have been of sound mind and hold fast the word, love God and love God's people. Now, I think we'll add to that today. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus and Titus in Crete to appoint elders in every congregation. Timothy and Titus were evangelists. And you assign that role to an evangelist. That's not evangelistic oversight, but it, where the point is used by metonymy. A point through teaching and then through commending. And where a point is an interesting word to think about. And there are several Greek words that talk about that one word, but two that I want to pinpoint this morning to think about as we move forward. One of those words is defined as to stretch the hand or to go before. It's used figuratively because it applies to God. It's used this way in Acts chapter 10 and verse 41. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before. That if chosen before, appointed by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Here God reached the hand forward to Saul. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1, the word is used relative to priests and their appointment. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 1. Very high priest is taken from among men, and is appointed for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Chosen before, stretch the hand. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 28. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of faith, which came afterward, that for the law appoints the Son who has been perfected. Verse 3 of chapter 8. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, therefore it's necessary that this one also have something to offer. Notice the law appoints. The law stretches forth the hand. The law chooses someone. Every high priest is appointed chosen is the idea. It's also used in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verses 18 through 19, of those who were chosen to take the gift that had been collected by those of Macedonia to those of Jerusalem, to the needy saints in Jerusalem, they stretched forth the hand to those men that had been chosen by them. Another definition of the word 
is the idea of to appoint to a task, to set over, to set in charge. You turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, verses 1 through 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Now in those days, for the number of the disciples was multiplying, there was a complaint by the Hebrews, by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word and serve tables. Therefore seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit wisdom, whom you may appoint, set over, set in charge over this business. But we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry. Notice he talks about set out and set over. Here you had the priests. They were set over something. Here you had the Gentiles. They had a stretching of the hand reached before to them. And here now you have seek out and set over these men, set before these men, and set these men over the collection of the saints. And then we turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. Or verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking in a point, elders in every city as I commanded you, that you may appoint, set over, set in charge, those who would administrate the idea of watching for souls or being shepherds. And so the idea that we think about when we talk about appointing elders is a very biblical idea, and in fact, it was something that evangelists were charged to do. They were charged by teaching to do that, and they were charged by commendation to do that. And so you see the process from Acts chapter 6. They are to seek out and to set over. In Acts chapter 14, in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, we find something else I think significant. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. So when they upon elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Notice, seek out and to appoint with prayer and fasting and to commend. And so this church has gone through the exercise of seeking out these men. Now it's time to appoint these men. And I assure you, this has been done with a great deal of fasting and prayer by your present shepherds. This has not been done lightly. And now it's time to commend these men to the congregation. I want to speak to these men about what this church expects from you. This church expects you to be men of wisdom, men of judgment, men of honor and worthy of respect. This church expects you to be the representative, expects you to listen and to use judgment. This church expects you to watch over them, to care for them, 
This church expects you to know their name and them know your voice to protect, to lead, not drive, to guide, to feed, to protect, and to defend. This church expects you to be the specimen of an example of someone that we can point to to say, that's a godly man. And that will come by admonition. That will come by word and by warning. As an example, you set the way for your flock to follow. Your rule will be seen by your example. Your rule will be demonstrated in your work. This church expects you to uphold the weak, be patient with all. But this church also expects you to warn the unruly. They expect you to give a word to lift, a word to encourage, but also a word to rebuke when necessary. This church expects you to convict by holding fast the word, to be able to communicate with this church the desires of which God has entrusted you with his word. This church expects you to be a model of perseverance, of courage, of impartiality, of commitment to duty and responsibility, and fulfill your obligation without, without excuse. This church expects you to stand in the gap, to stand as a defense between our greatest adversary, Satan, and God. Martin, Gerald, and Matt, here's the description the Holy Spirit gives of you. A man who is blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, not quick-tempered, sober-minded, of good behavior, a lover of good, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy, not covetous, not quarrelsome, not self-willed, one who will rule well his own house, having faithful children who are in submission and respect you, who are not given to dissipation nor insubordination, gentle, not a novice, of good testimony from outside, just and holy. That description carries a great deal of weight to it. 
It describes your character. And obviously there's something in this church, this collective fellowship, that they have seen in you to select you to be the men they want to represent them, to be their shepherd and to be their bishop. Martin, Gerald, and Matt, you join five of the men who are five of the finest men I know who serve in this role with no intent to name drop or sound like it. I travel a bit. And I am very prejudiced about Campbell Road. But I say without fear of contradiction that the five men you'll be serving with are without peer. They love God preeminently and they love God's people eminently. And they sacrifice themselves and sometimes sacrifice their family. Because this church has asked them, please lead us. Lead us beside the still waters. And please help us lay down in green pastures. The peace this church enjoys is not accidental. The growth this church is enjoying is not accidental. Both of those rest at the feet of the leadership, not just presently, but historically. This church has not been great, nor is she great because we're preachers. This church is great because she has leaders that lead people to God. And they've asked you to join these five men. Each one of you have wives that trust you, that respect you, and yes, adore you. You have children who respect you, who hear your voice, and who follow you, and who also love you as their father. Your families are a credit to the kind of men that you have grown to be and to help lead your families to be. And so, my brethren, I present to you your newest elders, shepherds, and bishops. Martin Henderson, Gerald Holt, and Matt Jones. Each of them in order, when I have something to say, and then Jordan will follow.
Well, good morning, everyone. I want you to know I consider this a real blessing to be able to stand before you now as one of your shepherds. I am thankful to God that he has provided this opportunity of service for me. And it's a responsibility that I'm willing to accept. And I'll do my very best to honor our God and to serve those of you in this congregation. Of all the things that an elder is involved with, there's one thing that's the most important to me, and that is to help each and every member of Campbell Road get to heaven. God fashioned the elder's role after the shepherds of old, as Ricky has described, and he did this for all sorts of reasons. A shepherd cares about each of his sheep. He does his best to feed and water them. He does his best to protect them from dangers, from without and within. He does his best to guide the sheep. He does his best to save the sheep, sometimes even from themselves. And if he doesn't own the sheep, a shepherd does his best for the owner to get them safely home. So, I have a question. What is your most important goal in life? What is your most important goal in life? There's lots of ideas, there's objectives we can all can list. But let me suggest that your goal as a Christian can be summed up in these four words. To get to heaven. That should be your goal. To get to heaven. Four words. It's simple. That's it. It should be everyone's goal, right? I think we all understand that. So everything we have to do in life should be focused on helping us to attain that goal. But we all know that there are times where we can get overwhelmed with things in our lives. And those are the times we need to remember that we're not alone. Your shepherds are here to help you with that goal. Brethren, I, I will make a promise to you that I will always do my best for you, for your soul, for your spiritual life, and I'm here to help you stay on the path that will lead you to heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote about his vision for the saints in Philippi, how he wanted them to be. I'd like to read this passage from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. Listen to how the Holy Spirit guided his words that he wrote for these Christians. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also have the interests of others. 
have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And this is what your shepherds will always try to do, to help you to develop a Christ-like attitude and a focus on spiritual things. Paul also wrote about a common problem happening in the first century, and unfortunately, this is a problem that is still with us today. He gave a warning which applies to us as well, Colossians 2 and verse 8. See to it that there is no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition, in accordance with the elementary principles of the world, rather than in accordance with Christ. I have another question. Does anybody know what the definition of a philosopher is? Definition of a philosopher? I have a friend who puts it this way. A philosopher is a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't there. And, and we, we see that in a, in a humorous way, but... This is what we face in our world, the deception of human thinking, the deception in many cases that infiltrates people's minds and sometimes can affect us in the church. What I see is what we all see. The world is a mess. Right has become wrong. Evil has become good. Truth has become your truth or my truth or her truth. God is mocked and his word is ignored. Yet I believe the worst situation of all of this is that Satan has found a way to deceive the world about what it takes to get to heaven. Millions of people are living with the wrong kind of hope, a false hope. And that is that everyone will go to heaven because there's no hell, that faith without obedience will save, that Jesus was just a good man, and if you feel saved, you are saved, regardless of what God's Word teaches. My hope for all of us is that we will never be deceived by what the world teaches, especially about what it takes to be pleasing unto the Lord. Your evangelists, your elders, your Bible class teachers are always striving to teach the truth from God's Word. And that we as God's people will accept that Word like the Christians did who Paul taught is so important. We read again in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13 that Paul wrote to them to praise them because when they received the Word of God that he had taught to them, they accepted it not as the words of mere men, but as what it really was and what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in them who believe just as it is in, in us who believe. One other thing I want to say to you. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus told his followers that the fields were white with harvest. They still are perhaps now more than ever. We all have opportunities to teach our friends, our co-workers, strangers, our loved ones about Jesus 
and about his saving gospel message. Always remember as a Christian that you knew enough to obey the gospel when you did, and that's all you have to do when you speak to others. Just share with them what you did. Share with them about the grace of God. Share with them that there's a way out of the mess of this world. Share with them that there's hope, real hope, that God through Christ gives to every person. If you ever need any help, you can always call upon your elders and call upon your evangelists. Well, finally, brethren, I want to leave you with one more passage from 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 and 13. May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow in love for one another and for all people, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Thank you, and, and I so look forward to helping all of us reach our simple goal. Just remember those four words, to get to heaven. Well said, my brother. Good morning, everyone. I enjoy it when people ask me how I met my wife because I get to tell them that I met her at church. Now, that may not seem extraordinary to you, but at the time, I lived 650 miles away. At the time, she lived in a house two blocks off Campbell Road, but the church was in College Park. I was just a visitor in town on a work assignment staying in a hotel one block off Campbell Road and working at a client site one mile away on Campbell Road. That was 1999. In 2000, I moved to Texas and you welcomed me. In 2001, I was married and you celebrated with us. In 2003, Becky found out she was pregnant, simultaneously discovered that she had cervical cancer and you prayed with us. That same year, the church relocated from College Park to Camel Road. In 2004, 2005, 2007, and 2008, our four children were born, and you wondered what in the world we were thinking. No, you rejoiced with us. In the midst of that beautiful chaos, you asked me to serve you as a deacon, which I was honored to do. In 2009, the elders asked me to become a steward of the Bible class program, which I was also pleased to do, and you became an amazing partner to me. In 2011, my father died, and you comforted me. In 2014, Becky and I bought a house a block off Campbell Road, in part because we wanted to stay close to you. As for my heritage... I come from a long line of godly women. By the grace of God, my mother introduced me to Jesus at an early age, and I have been trying diligently to influence a different story for my own children so that they not only can say they grew up with a godly mother, but a righteous father too. So much has happened in the 23 years since I moved here from Alabama. 
So many of you have shared life with me, and our shepherds have faithfully watched over me and my small part of the flock. I count this day in 2023 as one of the greatest days of my life to join those shepherds at your request. Your support of me and my family throughout the years and your encouragement in particular over these past few weeks has been nothing short of overwhelming. It is my great privilege to serve and lead you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul said, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Together, let's make it our aim for his glory. Acts 13, 36 says David served the purpose of God in his generation. Together, let's serve the purpose of God for his glory. Acts 20, 35 tells us that Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Together, let's give for his glory. 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Together, let's walk in truth for his glory. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Together, let's seek first the kingdom for his glory. Romans 12, 1 says, Brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Together, let's be living sacrifices for his glory. John 13, 35 says, by, his, by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have a love for one another. Together, let's love one another for his glory. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you together. Let's go for his glory. May the church of Jesus Christ that meets at Campbell Road be like the Bereans who receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, and like the church at Philadelphia that kept the word and would not deny the Lord's name for his glory. Together, let's make our God exalted among us, through us, and in us. May God bless you. May God bless this church today and always for his glory. Good morning. Yeah, I think it's amazing how four men can come up with a message uh, separate and apart, but yet have a similar theme as we go through this. I have the privilege of going last, so bear with me. I I'm so incredibly honored and humbled to stand before you this morning. It can sound ordinary and it can sound commonplace to say thank you, but that's what I want to do, say thank you. Thank you to our God who is holy and sovereign and merciful and forgiving and loving and righteous. Thank you to this congregation who, like these other men, for your support and the wonderful comments. Your encouraging words to me, but especially to my family and about my family. Thank you for your example of serving God. To the elders that have come before us, 
your Christ-like example, and your willingness to serve, and your shepherding heart. And to my family, it goes without saying that I wouldn't be up here this morning without them. Thank you. Thank you for your example and your heart and your love for God. As I considered my comments for today, I kept coming back to one thing. There's actually two things, but meshed together, and that is this church and God's continual blessing of it. Specifically what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do in the future. So as a famous preacher would say, put a peg there on those three things. What God has done, what he's doing, and what he will do in the future. When I met with the elders several weeks ago, they asked me a, a series of questions. Well, one came uh, back to mind over and over, and it's, why do you want to serve? And honestly, I hadn't thought of that in as specific terms, but I knew the answer. And it's you. It's this church. It's this body of believers, this group that is trying so hard to serve God, to serve a risen Savior, and to serve each other and encourage each other. In the interest of time, I'm going to read through some, some verses in Acts. Verse 41 of chapter 2. So there, those who had received the word were baptized, and that day they were added 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with the Lord. <clears throat> and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 32, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Acts chapter 5, verse 14, All the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly adding to that number. And finally, in Acts chapter 11, verse 21, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the church met and were taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, as another famous preacher would say, let's walk that off the page, and we can pick that peg up. Have you ever seriously considered the ties that we have to that time and to those passages and acts? God, through Christ, started his church we as Christians all over the world today and in the past have a direct ties to those passages. I can't give you specifics about the people in those passages, but I can give you specifics about people today. As Christians, we're a part of that church that started 2,000 years ago. And that is absolutely amazing. There's a direct tie. Now, God through Christ started this church. This fall will be 60 years that this group of believers has been together. I take the example of these first five or six rows over here, 20 or 30, 25 or 30 folks that represented, that is representative of the church that started on Randolph Drive in Garland. That house is still there if you want to see it. It's amazing. 
God bless those Christians and they continue to grow spiritually and physically. And they built a building. God blessed it and it continued spiritually and to continue, sorry, continued to grow physically and spiritually. And they built a bigger building on Centennial Boulevard where Gerald met Becky. God blessed it and it continued to grow spiritually and physically. And we built a bigger building on Campbell Road in Garland. Throughout those transitions, there were six men, as I counted, different elders that had served in various times. That is just a snapshot of what God has done. Christians today and people all around this community seek us out. They join us. They begin their work and their worship with us. Because of that, in the not-too-distant past, we added pews to the back of this auditorium because it wasn't full when we got here. We finished out the space upstairs for classrooms because we were growing spiritually and physically. And when that wasn't enough, we added a wing. Christians continue to seek us out and join this congregation here. We'll soon be moving pews around and adding chairs because God is blessing this church physically and spiritually. We have six amazing elders standing on the foundation of those previous men that I mentioned earlier, leading and shepherding an incredible church. God has blessed this church so richly. That is a snapshot of what God is doing. Finally, I want all of the young people, 12th grade in Bible class, 12th grade Bible class and below, to raise your hand. You're in the 12th grade, all the way down to the Bible, to the baby Bible class, raise your hand. Some of you gonna need help. They're right there. As I calculated it, because I have a spreadsheet to do so, Max McCormick is the oldest kid in that 12th grade class. And that cascades all the way down to the to Kessler LeBlanc. You may be out the back. Look around. Look at the hands that are raised. Raise them up. Everyone look around. That's what God will do for this church in the future. Thank you. We have so many fantastic young folks here, individuals, and families doing what is right. Setting your mind on things above, not on earthly things. God has blessed this church, and God and this church has blessed me. That answers the question, why I want to serve. It's you. I want you to go to heaven. And I want to help you go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. And I want you to help me go to heaven. So my encouragement, my encouragement to you and my prayer for all of us this morning is to keep fighting with good fight. Keep living a Christ-like life that honors God no matter what this world no matter what this world is doing. Keep 
growing spiritually. Keep encouraging one another. And as our brother said, keep leading others to Christ. Because that's the most important thing. So today I ask a couple of things. Your patience with me and your prayers for Martin, Gerald, and I and our families as we begin this work. And my commitment to you is to do the same, to look after this flock and to shepherd it with the love of Christ and the love of our God whom we serve. Thank you. I'm going to ask that you pray with me. God, as it is written, O God, who is like you, Lord God Almighty, you are Lord, you are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You are holy, and your ways are righteous and true. King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? We come before your throne with praise and honor, the one true living God. You, through Christ, have established this church, and we are grateful. You have blessed your people, and you have blessed this church, and we are grateful. You have blessed this church with peace and unity, and may that always be the case. Thank you for the encouragement of each one and each one supplies. May we always be an encouragement to each other with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing one another in love to preserve that unity and that peace. Bless this church, O oh God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice, for the blood that washes us clean. And we thank you for the hope that we have because of that sacrifice. And it's his name that we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 3. Let's look at a passage in Ephesians 3. Thank you to my brothers. <clears throat> thank you, Ricky J. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Apostle Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is the purpose of the people of God, that we, as his people, his grand universal church, in everything we say and in everything we do, we bring honor and glory to him. And as this church, as this local congregation, united together with that same purpose, we exist to bring honor and glory to him. That's what this special day represents. It is the plan, the beautiful plan of King Jesus that these local churches be led by shepherds, by men of spiritual maturity who devoted themselves to the service of Jesus and to watching over and caring for souls. I need each one of you to listen very closely as Ricky spoke on behalf of the shepherds and what this church can expect of these men is now our time as we draw this to a conclusion to speak on behalf of the church. That is what I'm going to do. I'm speaking on behalf of us, of what these three men and our current men can expect of us. And so Martin and Gerald and Matt, as you lead in the Lord, we pledge to follow you. As you stand before us, we will honor you and we will respect you. As you shepherd us, we will listen to your voice. We will hear your voice and your words. 
Trust in your wisdom and your discernment. As you judge in the Lord, we pledge to accept your counsel, to follow your wisdom and your judgment, to accept your experience, to follow your knowledge. As you support the weak in the Lord, we pledge to bring our needs and our cares and our burdens to you and call on you to help and to pray, to tend to your sheep, trusting you will be there for us. As you equip in the Lord, we pledge to be trained, to follow your example, to rise to your expectations, to strive to work with, alongside, and under your gentle care. Martin and Gerald and Matt, on behalf of the church, we want to be led by you. Uh, we want to follow you. We want you to watch, op- watch out for us and over us, to pray for us, to help us, and to strengthen us. And the times that we hurt, we want you to bind our wounds. And the times that we are lost, we want you to seek us. And the times that we stray, we want you to discipline and correct us. And the times that we stumble, we want you to pick us up. We want you to protect us and we want you to defend us. We want you always to be there for us. All of us in our Bibles together in Hebrews chapter 13, I would like us all to read this together at one time as we pledge what the Lord expects in Hebrews chapter 13. Collectively, church, with our Bibles open, we're listening to the Word of God. And here's what the Lord says to us. Hebrews 13 and verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And following the example of the chief shepherd, that is our plea, that as you lead us to the green pastures and feed us on the Word of God, as you lead us by the still waters and strive to preserve the unity and the peace, as you stand with us in our darkest moments, in our deepest valleys, as you protect us against the enemies who sit across the table, and as you stand side by side with the people who are striving to be ever in the presence of God, our commitment to you, as the Lord expects, Martin and Gerald and Matt, we pledge to follow you. We pledge to submit to you. We pledge to obey you. And we pledge to the best of our God-given ability to let this service of yours be a service of joy. To enjoy this role of you have chosen to follow King Jesus, our shepherd. We believe that by your leadership, and most importantly, by God's will and God's grace, our best days are yet before us. And so as you commit your lives in service to the Lord and to this people, we commit to follow and to work alongside you. Good brethren, it is my honor today to introduce to you our nine shepherds, represented by many family members here, our brother Joe Fagan. If we please stand. Our brother Breck Lifingood. Our brother Terry Bennett. Our brother James Pittman. 
our brother Rick Foster. Our brother Martin Henderson. Our brother Jerob Holt. Our brother Matt Jones. Our brother Ricky Jenkins. For this moment, good church, will you join with me? Our shepherds, we trust you, we support you, and we will follow you. Amen? Please be seated. Let's pray. A great and wonderful God in heaven, we give you honor and glory and praise. You have blessed this congregation so richly. You have made us what we are, the saved and the redeemed. You have brought us this far. You've opened every door. You've blessed every opportunity. You've answered every prayer. You saw us through our trials. You blessed us with growth individually and collectively. Today, we give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. We give you thanks this day, O oh Father, for our nine shepherds, for Joe, Breck, Terry, James, Rick, Martin, Gerald, Matt, and Ricky. We thank you for their example, for their commitment and their love for you and for us. We thank you for their families and for all the ways that they've helped us thus far. We ask your blessing upon them in this work, that you bless them with wisdom and with patience and courage, with kindness and humility, with an unwavering commitment to you, your word, and your people. Gracious Lord, we ask you help us to look to them, to follow their example, to listen to their voice as they lead us closer and closer to you. It is our prayer that you continue to bless us as a congregation, that you help us to press forward, to work all the more harder, to love one another all the more deeper, to serve all the more greater, to bless us as we continue by your grace to press forward. All of this, great Father, to your honor and glory and praise. In the name of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.